Turn your Bibles back to Luke 18. That's where we were but really before our celebration last Sunday morning. We're continuing our study of what we're calling the sayings of Peter. And it's a powerful study. We're seeing statements that Peter makes and also events surrounding these statements. And there's a lot we can see. As over the, over the time, we're going to be seeing truths dealing with salvation and discipleship and service and ministry and trusting and failure victory, all of those things as we look at what Peter says throughout his life. There's more than, even if you look at the original handout I gave you, it talks about the sayings of Peter, but there's more than 10 sayings. I mean, there's more things we're going to see as we go through it because some of them have more than one in there. This morning, we're seeing second, Peter's second statement, and he said, we've left all and followed you. But when we look at this passage, it goes together with another event that happens, and that's the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and asks him a question, and we're going to see this is dealing with salvation, eternal life salvation. Peter's statement is dealing with discipleship. So I want you to understand that many people have never understood the difference between salvation and discipleship. And discipleship is living for the Lord, and, dis- and salvation is faith alone and Christ alone for eternal life. People mix them up all the time, and they say in order to be saved, you've got to give your life to Jesus, you've got to serve him, you've got to live for him, and all that kind of stuff, and they confuse it. So let's talk for a second, uh, as we get into this, let's talk for a second about th- this issue, and that salvation is the act by which God gives eternal life, really as a gift, an eternal relationship to those who believe in Jesus Christ as Savior, to those who believe in Christ for eternal life, he gives them eternal life. That's his promise. And it's a gift. And by the way, it costs absolutely nothing. It's by faith. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for by grace you have been saved through what? Through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. It's not of works. And so salvation, our, what we call our eternal life salvation, costs us absolutely nothing. It is a gift given to us when we believe. Discipleship is another word for a learner or someone who follows, someone who learns. This is a person who lives for Jesus, serves Jesus, that kind of idea. It costs us. It costs us our lives. Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, take up your cross and follow Jesus. And to take up your cross means to die. Means to die to yourself because in that day and time, if you said somebody's on a cross, that means they're dying. And so he, Jesus is saying, die to yourself and live for me. And what the famous verse we always talk about is Romans 12. And so the distinction salvation is a gift, costs us nothing, it's eternal life, it's by faith. Discipleship costs us our lives, there's eternal rewards involved, and it deals with faithfulness. Now, in this passage, we're seeing the rich young ruler which is the issue of salvation, and we're seeing Peter's statement, which is the issue of discipleship. So if you go back to Luke 18, verse 18, this this ruler came up to him, they call him the rich young ruler. This ruler questioned him, saying, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And and so uh, when we look at that, he raises that question. He didn't say, how do I have eternal life? He said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? How do I get eternal What do I do to get eternal life? So he's, he's, Jesus is, you know, listen, Jesus knows things we don't know. When we heard him say that, we might think he's asking, how do you have eternal life? What do you, you know, he's, he's saying to Jesus, what must I do? He calls Jesus good. And then he says, what good thing must I do? I mean, what do I need to do? And Jesus said, why do you call me good? Nobody's good except God alone. And so this person is saying, what must I do? What good things do I do in order to have life? And Jesus is going to answer him according to that. He says, okay, if you want to know what you're going to do, then what do you do? You, you keep the commandments. 
Uh, you, you, and Jesus says, you keep the commandments. You don't, don't commit adultery, don't murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. We told you last week that the Ten Commandments are divided into two parts. The first four commandments deal with the relationship or the fellowship or the idea with God. The last four commandments deal with your relationship to human beings, p- other people. So he says, okay, let's talk about it. How about your relationship with other people? Don't commit mur- adultery, murder, don't steal, don't bear false witness, honor your father and mother. And what he should have said is, well, I mean, I, you know, I, I, I've, not, I've, I've not done this perfectly. I mean, I've messed up a few along the way. But he didn't say that. He said, I've done this all my life. And so what he's really saying is, I've kept the laws. And so Jesus knows that in, the, in, in his mind, these six commandments, he's done them, but he hadn't. But then Jesus is going to say, okay, then what about the top four, and what's the most important one? And so Jesus says to him, oh, okay, there's one thing you lack. You sell all your stuff and distribute it to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven, and then you'll follow me. He's saying, if this is all true and you're perfect, then just get rid of all your stuff, because one of the first commandments is you'll have no other gods before me, and you've put money before me, but you don't even realize it. So Jesus says, okay, then you've, you've done it. Wow, you're amazing. Okay, well, okay, just to show that you put me first, get rid of all the things you have and follow me. And then guess what? I'll give you rewards and everything. It's, it's going to be great. But when he heard these things, verse 23, he became very sad because he was extremely rich. And so Jesus, a lot of people say, that doesn't seem right. Why? I thought the guy was asking how to have eternal life, and Jesus should have said, believe in me, and you'll have eternal life. No, the guy was asking, what good things, what must I do to gain eternal life? And so Jesus said, if you're going to do it, then you have to keep the law perfectly. He said, I've done it, and it, but not really, because when he said about money, he realized money was more important to him than God. So he didn't keep the first four commandments. And so he goes away sad. And, of course, the guys are all talking about it. What, how, how is a rich man? Jesus says it's hard for a rich man to be saved because they trust in wealthy, and they trust in their wealth. And they say, well, how can somebody be saved? And Jesus said, whatever is impossible with men is possible with God. So the very first issue that he talked about was salvation, and it's always by faith. Even though Jesus, did, Jesus just put it right back on him. You're going to keep the law, then keep it perfectly. So then get rid of all your stuff, and you, you got it. But the guys thought, I'm not going to do that. So now, in the passage, we're now going to see what Peter said, because Peter listened to all of this, and Peter said in verse 28, Behold, we have left our homes and followed you. We've left it all. And so, in verse 28, Peter says, We've left our homes, our lives. we followed you. We, we have given our lives to you. We not only believed in you, because we already saw that in John chapter 1, uh, you know, at, or excuse me, at the wedding in chapter 2, the wedding, they, believe, they already believed in him. They believed in him as Messiah and Savior. They, just hadn't, they hadn't grasped it all yet. And by the way, you hadn't either. I hadn't either. And we think, well, I, we, know the, we know Jesus. No, you don't. Not like, I mean, Jesus is the eternal Son of God. And we know a little bit about him. And, and so uh, Jesus is telling these guys, and they've said he's the Messiah. And then... They, they've decided they're going to they're live for him. And so Peter says, well, what does that mean? Because we've left our homes and we've followed you. And so Peter actually says, what about us? What about us? We not only trust, and that's a question we could ask. We believed in Jesus Christ for eternal life and we're saved and saved forever. And then we might say, Lord, we want our lives to count for you. So then what's in it for us, so to speak? You know, why, why live for Christ? 
if, if salvation is simply by faith and everybody who believes all goes to heaven and all has exactly the same and we're all just there, then why would you ever live for Jesus Christ? Because once you get the ticket, you're in, right? But that's not how it is. When we get eternal life and we're in the kingdom, we're not all together holding hands going kumbaya and all that. We're not, that's not what's going to happen. There are going to be places of responsibility. There are going to be people in places of leadership and responsibility, and it's going to go back to how you served. And so he's going to reward us. And so when Peter said, well, what about us? We left it all. We left our homes and followed you. And so remember, eternal life is by faith, but to have eternal rewards is by faithfulness. And so I put it this way. To have eternal life, it's a gift, but to be a disciple, to follow cost you. And you all know, and, and, and there are all of us in this room, you understand that when you believed in Jesus Christ for eternal life, it cost you absolutely nothing. It's a gift. But when you said to the Lord, I want my life to count for you, it's going to cost you your life. Because you're saying to him, take my life and use me for your glory, and I'll go wherever you want me to go and do whatever you want me to do. I want you to notice this verse. And he was saying to them, if anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake is the one who will save it. What does he say? If you want to come after him, if you want to be a disciple, what do you have to do? You deny yourself, you give up your life, you take up your cross daily, you die to yourself, and you live for Jesus Christ. That's what it boils down to. Discipleship is denying yourself, taking up your cross, dying to yourself, and following Jesus Christ. You lose your life. This is discipleship. That's not salvation. You don't lose anything in salvation. In fact, in salvation, you gain everything. You were dead in trespasses and sins. You were a child of the devil. You were, you were destined for the wrath of God. And by faith in Christ, a gift. You get the gift of eternal life. You become a child of God. You're no longer destined for wrath. You have eternal life. You gain it all. But then he says, are you going to live for me or not? And that's really the question that we as believers ask. This is why Peter says, we have done this. We have left everything and followed you. So what's in it for us? And, and, and when, you, when you look at this, look, Luke 14, 27, whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my what? He didn't say, you can't be a believer. You can't be my. He didn't say, whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my child. Cannot, be, cannot have eternal life. He didn't say that. He said you can't be a disciple. I want you to notice, Jesus said you can't be a disciple. Jesus is dealing with discipleship, not salvation. And the reason I'm really hitting that strong is because there's so many people out there that will tell you that if you're not living for Christ, you're not a Christian. And, and then you want to say, well, how, how do I know if I'm living for Christ? I mean, how much do I need to live for Christ to make sure I'm living for Christ to know I'm saved? And you can't, it's never. And so Jesus says, you know, and, and if, you, you can't, if you don't carry your own cross and come after me, you can't be my disciple. So when Peter says, we did it, we've done it, we've done it. And so Jesus is going to say, well, then let me tell you what I say to you. There's not one of you who left your house, your wife, your brothers, your parents, your children for the sake of the kingdom, who will not receive many times as much in this time and in the age to come. So how in the world? So he says there's rewards for living for Christ. Have you ever thought about that? Most of our people in our church, we, we know this. 
Uh, you can go to places and ask people and ask them about rewards, and they'll look at you, and they actually say salvation is the reward. When you live, God, when you live good enough, God rewards you with salvation. Salvation is not a reward. Salvation is a gift. Service ultimately results in rewards. And so let's stop for just a second. Let's talk about a, a verse that's very familiar, but I just want you to see it. It's Romans 12, 1 and 2 where he says, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. So we have two different things here in Romans 12, 1 and 2, that deals with how we live. And if you want to go ahead, just flip over, flip over to Romans 12. I know we're in in, uh, Luke 18, but flip over to Romans 12. And it's one of the great passages of the Bible. If you remember, as you're turning over there, if you remember the book of Romans in chapters 1, basically 1, 2, and 3, those three chapters, Paul says, everybody's a sinner. Whether you're a bad person, a good person, or a religious person, you're all sinners and come short of the glory of God. And then in chapters 3 and 4 of Romans, he tells you how to have eternal life. He says, you're justified by faith. In chapter 5, he says, now there's security. Having been justified by faith, you have peace with God. And then in chapter 6, he says, you need to be identified with Christ. You understand your identity in Christ because you died and rose again with him to a new life, and you can have victory in the Christian life. And then in chapter 7, is telling you when you're not having victory, you're trying to do the things you want to do, but you're not doing them, and there's all kinds of things. And then he gets to chapter 8 and says, by the way, there is no condemnation. You're fine. You're saved and saved forever. And then he does 9, 10, and 11 dealing with Israel. And then he gets to 12. And in chapter 12, he says, now that we've talked about all this theology, let's get practical. I want you to offer your lives to God. Stop being conformed to the world and be transformed by the word. This is what it is. And this is why Romans 12 is so powerful because he's at Romans 12, 1 and 2. He's actually telling that. So he has a charge. And then he has the manner in which you carry out that charge. And so how does all this fit? Here's the charge. The charge is offer your life as a living sacrifice. Look at Romans 12. He says, I urge you, brethren. He start writing to who? Who's he writing to? The believers. He's not writing to unbelievers. He's not telling unbelievers, give your life to God to be saved. He's not talking about salvation at all. He's saying, give your life to God in service. He says, I beseech you, I beg you, believers, I beg you, brethren. That's what he says. I beg you, brethren, by the mercy of God, what God's done for us. Here's what I want you to do. Present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. Give God your life. Give him your body. Offer your lives as a living sacrifice. And and he's actually begging them. It's a real strong word, the word for urge there. I urge you, brother, by the mercy of God. He's saying, I'm begging you. I, I want you, based on what God's done for you, the mercies of God, that you give your lives as a living and holy sacrifice to God. Give it. Give him your life. You know that that's a big decision to make. I've told you many times that I trusted Christ when I was 19, when I was in college, and I believed in him for eternal life, and I was saved and saved forever, but it wasn't until I was 25 or 26, I was coaching in Mississippi State, and I came home one night from football practice, and I was miserable, and I knew that I should be living for the Lord, and I wasn't, and I came home, and I said, Lord, I give you my life. I want my life to count for you. I did a Romans 12, 1 and 2. I said, I want my life to count for you, and I'll go wherever you want me to go, do whatever you want to do, because I was scared because I was a coach, and I wanted to stay a coach. I, I loved coaching, but God had other ideas, and even after I gave my life to Christ, it was still three to four to five years before 
uh, he, ch- he changed all my desires, and I not, didn't get to be a coach. But the truth is now, if you said you want to be a coach or be a pastor, I said, good gracious, I don't want to be a coach. I want to be a pastor, my gracious. And so when we, when we offer our lives, it's a scary thing. Because what you're really saying is, I'm dying to myself. It's no longer me. See, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I live, but Christ lives in me. In the life I live in the flesh, I live by what? Faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. We're not living for ourselves. We're not supposed to. So I hope and pray that every one of you in this room, number one, you have believed in Jesus Christ for eternal life. Number two, you've come to a point in your life where you say, I want my life to count for you, and I will go wherever you want me to go, and I'll do whatever you want me to do. This is not salvation. This is discipleship. And so the charge, offer your life as a living sacrifice. Give our bodies, our lives as living sacrifices. And then he tells us how to do it. And there's both a negative and a positive. And I really love this passage because it's so powerful. He gives us the negative first. And look at the negative. He says, and do not be conformed to this world. In the Greek, it literally says, stop being conformed to the world. Because what happens is, and we all know this, that as believers, unless we're consciously living for God, unless we're consciously growing as believers, we're unconsciously being conformed to this fallen world. The thinking, the patterns, everything shapes us. And so he says, stop, it literally in the Greek says, stop being conformed to this world. And the word conformed, of course, means shaped. It means like a a mold, like you would put jello in something and then you flip it over and then it's that. you know, whatever that mold was. Well, what it's saying is the world is trying to shape you to think like the world. And if you're not careful, you are. You're going to think and have the same values. And I mean, you know, if if you just look at our world and what it teaches us now, just go back to the 1950s or 60s and what was on TV. Uh, You know, what's on TV now would make people throw up in 1950 or 1960. They'd say, how can you have that on television? You can't have that on television. You can't say those words on television. You can't have that kind of stuff on television. But you'd say, well, no, that's our world now. Yeah, and so we just get shaped and formed to whatever it is if we're not careful. And so he says, stop being conformed, shaped to this old world, this old fallen world system. That's the negative. And then he gives the positive, and he says, but be, but be Transformed, And by the way, in the Greek, it means keep on being transformed by the renewing of your mind. So he actually says, stop letting the world conform you and keep on being transformed, he says, by the renewing of your mind. Renewing your mind is putting the word of God in your brain. It's, it's knowing, it's putting it in there. And in fact, he goes on to say that you, that you may know what the will of God is, which is good, acceptable, and perfect. He says the only way you can know God's will is to know God's word. And so the positive aspect is that we are transformed by the Bible. And that means if we're not consciously in this thing and saying, what does the Bible say? What does it mean? How do I live this out? You will, if you're not consciously doing this, you're going to unconsciously let the world transform you. This is a saying that I I say a lot. I say if we're not consciously being transformed by the Word of God, if we're not consciously, on purpose, deciding we're going to be transformed, changed from the inside out by the Word of God, we will unconsciously, we don't even realize it's happening, be conformed to the world. The word transformed is the Greek word metamorphosis. We get metamorphosis from it. It means to be changed. It actually has an idea of change from inside out. The world shapes you from outside in. God's word transforms you from inside out. 
That's why it's so unique and so special. You've got the world out there telling you one thing. You've got the Word of God telling you another thing. The world outside is trying to shape how you live. The Word inside is trying to transform you to become like Jesus Christ and live that way. So we have to make a decision. Are you you going to live for Christ or not? Are we going to offer your life as a living sacrifice? I, I remember people talking about that, and I was afraid to do it. I was afraid because I thought, if I tell God I will do that, I probably won't get to be a coach. I was wrong. He let me be a coach. But as time went by and I studied the Bible more, I got to teach. I, I loved doing that more than I loved coaching. So it wasn't that God said, I'm just going to take you out of coaching. He said, I'm just going to let you grow and see what you like. Right? What do you like? What do you want to do? How do you want to use your gifts, talents, and abilities as, as you grow as a believer? As you say to God, take my life, use me for your glory. And so let me go back over to Luke 18. We saw Romans. It's just so perfect. Luke 18. Peter said, we, we've left we left everything. We left our homes and we followed you. And then he says, I say to you, this is Jesus. I say, to you, there's no one who left the house or a wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God. Now, let me just say this. When you offer your life to God, that doesn't mean you give up like you're going to probably lose all your family and have to No, no. He, you're just saying to him, wherever I am, Lord, whatever you want me to do, take my life and use you. And use me, for, and let you use me for your honor and glory. And there are people, and I told you about the lady last week, that her children, uh, they, they were missionaries and been missionaries in uh, another part of the world, basically their whole adult life. And when I met her, she's in her late 70s, early 80s, and they're in their 40s or 50s, but they, she, hasn't, she sees them maybe, or she saw them maybe once a year, maybe, because they had said, we're one, they were with Wycliffe translators, and they went all over the world, and, uh, uh, you know, translating things, and flying things, and doing things. And I asked her one time, I said, you really miss them? And she said, oh, of course I miss them, but I would rather them be away from me in the will of God than here, not in the will of God. And if you ask them, what have you missed? And they go, well, we missed our family, but we're serving exactly where God wants us to be. So when you say, I want my life to count for you, it doesn't mean you're going to have to be a missionary or a pastor. It just means take my life and use me for your glory. And he goes on to say, listen, when you've let, you will, they will, they will not receive, they will receive many times as much in this life and in the age to come. And you say, well, what do you get in this life? And I put down a lot of things. There's a, Jesus doing rewards now and in the future. He says, now they'll be rewarded. Now they'll be, listen, do you realize you get rewards now? If you obey God, what does he do? He blesses you. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. If he sows to the flesh, he reaps what? What do you get? Corruption. If he sows to the spirit, what do you get? He gets. He calls it eternal life, which means a life of abundance. If you ask people, if you ask this family, and they're in a different part of the world, and you said, "What have you missed out on? You missed out on family?" They no, we got fam- we have family here. So most people we led to Christ, they're our brothers and sisters. And well, what about this and what about that? No, they're not missing anything. I went to seminary, I had no money. I'm just, I'll just tell you this. I went to seminary, I had no money, had nothing. All the way through, God brought people into my life, family and people, to get me through there. 
And if you said, did you miss out on anything by going there? Nope, didn't miss out on thing. In fact, I had more than I ever had. It's just the way God does it. And so he says, now and in the future. See, now we talk about spiritual blessings, but there's also, there's a, he gives us other things. I just put spiritual blessings up there now, but because of Ephesians and what it says, all the blessings that we have because we're in Christ. But the truth is, he blesses you now. When you, when you serve him now, you get blessed. And then in the future, in 1 Corinthians 3, there'll be rewards. 2 Corinthians 5 talks about rewards. Romans 14 talks about rewards. And so we'll get rewards. Now, Jesus says, now and in the age to come. He says eternal life, and eternal life, once again, doesn't, doesn't just mean length of time. It has an idea of quality of life as well. We all know that eternal life is eternal life with Jesus Christ. That's a different quality of life. Right. Well, so two questions that we just raised for us to think about. Do we understand the grace aspect of salvation, and as believers... Are we disciples? Let's look at the first question for just a second. Do we understand the grace aspect of salvation? I talk to people a lot, and most people don't understand the grace aspect of salvation. Even when they say, oh, yes, yes, salvation is a gift. It's by grace. It's by faith in Christ. And I say, so what do you do to be saved? Well, you turn away from your sins and give your life to Jesus. They just added works. They don't understand the grace aspect of salvation. Salvation is believing in Jesus Christ for what? For eternal life. That's his offer, his offer. So do we understand the grace aspect of salvation? I hope we do, and I know our church does, and that's when I talk to you and talk to you individually, I mean, you guys just rattle it off and all that. Now, as believers, are we disciples? That's a harder question. That's a harder question because when you make that decision, it changes your whole life. And uh, some of you may be like I was. I was afraid. I was afraid. And you just have to trust him because he knows what's better. He knows what's better. And so let me give you two applications and then we'll grow. grow, grow. Let's understand. Well, it may be more than two applications. Let me see. No, just two. Uh, let's understand the distinction between salvation and discipleship. Now, we all know that when we start talking about theology, there's a past salvation, a present salvation, and a future salvation. When we say salvation here, we're talking about eternal life salvation. So let's understand the distinction between eternal life salvation and discipleship. And they are different. Eternal life salvation costs us absolutely nothing, while discipleship costs us what? It costs you everything. It costs you your life. And that's why Jesus says, take up your cross and die to yourself and deny yourself and follow me. To follow Jesus is not eternal life salvation. To follow Jesus is discipleship. That's the key. Second, let's offer, this is the hard one. Let's offer our lives as living sacrifices to Christ. We have to do it. Not being, stop being conformed to, the, to, the, to this fallen cultural world controlled by the devil. Stop being conformed to this world, but be transformed. Keep on being transformed by the renewing of your mind, by the word of God. It's so perfect. Helps us grow and to become more like Jesus Christ. So I hope and pray that, uh, and even after, even after you make that decision and you go through life, and even now there are some times that I think and say, you know, uh, would I... Would I right now go anywhere he wanted me to go? Or would I say, I'm pretty happy right here, right? But you got to be able to say, even if I'm happy right here, if you have something else, 
you're going you're gonna to change me and help me understand that. And that's for all of us.